1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
0: The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United
2: States, people should not be walking around with masks.
0: We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy... This was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job.
2: i tell you what, we are in a truth emergency
0: right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, October 21st, 2022, the 639th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. In doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a variety of podcast platforms. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. Well, the communists are having one of those very confusing days, as they often do, being totally committed and engaged with the false reality, where they don't know whether or not they're really excited or really terrified. And they're so confused because Steve Bannon, the most dangerous man on the entire planet, was sentenced to four months in prison. For contempt of Congress. And that has them just going head over heels. Thinking about a political opponent being imprisoned makes them giddy. But at the same time, it's not good enough because Bannon is going to appeal and probably never serve a single day of that prison sentence once it gets thrown out. They wanted to take him off air Before the election, but he actually left his sentencing hearing and went straight back onto air. He made it back to the War Room set before the morning edition of the War Room even finished. He was on air for the last half hour of the show. So they're not going to get him out of the game before the election, and they're probably not going to get him out of the game after the election before the new Congress is sat at the beginning of January. So basically all they're left with is the same situation as yesterday. But now they get to say Steve Bannon's going to go to jail for being a very bad boy and not respecting the illegitimate January 6th committee properly. Those people are trying to save the country. And anyone who's not cooperating with them wants the country to be destroyed. Now, how will the country be destroyed? Will prosecutions of political opponents become a regular thing? Is the country going to be destroyed in that way? Oh, no, they're the ones doing that. They're the ones doing that thing that everyone would usually recognize as the sort of thing that happens in banana republics under illegitimate dictators. But that's not what's happening here. They're stopping Bannon from making the country a place where this sort of thing could happen. You get it? I know it's hard to understand if you're not in the false reality, but in the false reality, they are totally opposed to political persecution. They're totally opposed to locking up their political opponents, but they're also totally for locking up their political opponents Once they have determined that their political opponents just really are so dangerous that an exception needs to be made. And once they make one exception, then they're like, oh, yeah, this is the rule now. We get to lock up political opponents every time we decide they're just too dangerous. Here's how CNN covered it. Former Trump advisor Steve Bannon's trial concluded today as he was sentenced to four months in prison and dealt a $6,500 fine. Bannon was stoic throughout the proceedings, in contrast with when the jury announced his guilty verdict and he was smiling and animated. Yet after the judge announced he would not have to serve the jail time while he appeals, Bannon cracked a smirk. He thanked his attorney, David Schoen several times, and just before exiting the courtroom, After the proceeding ended, he walked up to the lectern facing the judge, put his hands down as if he were going to speak, then walked away. And in one of his most unusual choices in a federal sentencing, where defendants often take great pains to show respect for the court, Bannon did not wear a suit. Instead, he had on a barn coat and several navy blue shirts. Oh, did he wear several shirts? What a crucial detail, CNN. It's actually crazy that their readers don't get upset that they're always being talked to like children. There were also some dramatic moments from Bannon and his legal team. Schoen argued much more forcefully, yelling at some points as he railed against the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack the Democratic-led Congress, and the Justice Department, several times cracking open his paperback copy of the Federalist Papers to read quotes from James Madison. How dare he? It's a case where Mr. Bannon should make no apology. No American should make any apology, Schoen said in a nearly 30-minute argument in which the judge didn't interrupt him at all. Schoen pointed out that Bannon had great respect for the executive branch, thus his willingness to try to keep information Trump might not want others to learn from the committee. And it's strange that CNN didn't bother pointing out that it wasn't out of respect for Trump. It was out of respect for the principle of executive privilege, which Bannon was not allowed to argue in his court trial. So what happens now? CNN reports U.S. federal judge Carl Nichols laid out next steps after deciding that ex-Trump advisor Steve Bannon will not have to serve the four-month prison sentence until his appeal plays out. Here's how things will unfold. Bannon has 14 days to file his appeal. If he doesn't file that appeal, then Bannon will have to make arrangements to surrender voluntarily no later than November 15th, the judge said. Bannon's attorneys have already made clear they plan to appeal his conviction to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. So this is absolutely nowhere close to over. It's also strange that they don't mention that the four-month term is actually two two two-month terms that would be served concurrently. So it would really only be a maximum of two months in prison for Bannon. But the appeals will happen. The appeals will continue if the D.C. Circuit Court decides that Bannon has to serve in prison, then he will appeal that too. none of this is going to accomplish the communists stated goal, which is taking Steve Bannon off the air. Steve Bannon exited the courtroom to gathered media and some microphones set up for him to speak. And he said this and somehow they actually broadcast the entire thing on MSNBC.
2: Today is his decision. I fully respect, I've been totally respectful of this entire process uh, on the legal side. also want to make one other statement before I talk about a broader topic. More than any person in the Trump administration, I testified before the Mueller Commission. For more hours, I testified in front of a uh, Cher- shift in the House Intelligence Committee, more than any other person in the Trump administration. I test I testified in front of the Senate Intelligence. I think more than a- all about the issues related uh, to uh, to Russia Gate to all of that. Okay, the same process every time. I had lawyers that were engaged, they worked through the issues of privilege, and at that time I went and testified. And, I, and, and this thing about uh, I'm above the law is an absolute and total lie. Now more importantly, more, more importantly the judge, today was my judgment day by the judge. And he stated and for the appeal. And we'll have a very vigorous appeals process. I've got a great legal team and there'll be multiple areas of appeal. But as that sign says right there, can we have the vote sign? On November eighth. On November eighth. On November eighth. They're going to have judgment on the illegitimate Biden regime, and quite frankly, and quite frankly, Nancy Pelosi and the entire committee, and we know which way that's going. Either they've already been turfed out like Liz Cheney, right, or have quit like Kinzinger and other the Democrats, or they're about to be beaten like Luria and others or they will lose their power and becoming a minority and Nancy Pelosi and, and uh, Tom's Chairman Johnson, all of it. This is a, this is a, this is democracy. This is democracy. The American people are weighing and measuring what went on with the Justice Department and how they comported themselves. They're weighing and measuring that right now, and they will vote on November eighth. Mr. Boehner, hang on. They will vote. Your hang on. They will, they will. They will no, silence. They will know. Anything you want to say to them? Can I go ahead and finish? Can I? Thanks. They, right, on November eighth. On November eighth, the American people will raise judgment. And we will groom the Biden administration ends on the eighth evening of the eighth of November. And let me be, let me, some other thing is that the Department of Justice, Merrick Garland, will end up being the first Attorney General that's brought up on charges of impeachment, and he will be removed from office. Thank you very much.
0: Now, you have to love any time MSNBC allows Steve Bannon to go through an entire spiel like that particularly when he's mentioning the fact that the Biden regime is completely illegitimate. It's good for that stuff to be in front of the child brains who watch MSNBC. They thought they could intimidate Bannon. They thought they could silence Bannon. And in intimidating and silencing Bannon, they thought they could intimidate and silence you. That is the point of the entire exercise. And they have failed on all counts. They're not intimidating Steve Bannon at all or silencing him, and they're not going to intimidate or silence anyone in the America First movement. The whole thing is a sham. It should be laughed at. And people can say, well, you shouldn't laugh at that. Look at the state of our country that allows something like this to happen. And I agree with you. It is very sad that we have to endure this time and these injustices. but. It's also necessary that people really see this stuff and wrestle with it because these are problems and these problems didn't just start existing. We just began to see them right out front, right out in the open, right in our faces. And now that we do see it, now that people are waking up to what this really is, that's when we have the opportunity to change it. And that's when we have the opportunity to hold these people accountable. That is what's coming. I know it hasn't happened yet. I've gone through this many, many times on the show, but what you're seeing is a process and these are parts of a process. If we want to get back to a place where we have equal justice under the law, there has to be a critical mass of Americans who see the injustice and want to make real change, not simply pretend that we are creating justice through Instagram posts about totally invented racial issues or gender issues. Those aren't issues of justice. Equal protection under the law and equal justice under the law are the keys. And we already have both in the law. It's a matter of how the law is applied. And we can see pretty clearly at this point that it is applied unevenly. It is applied differently toward the people threatening the regime than it is to people who are part of the regime or people who support the regime. So the blackpilling makes no sense, especially to the people who have been doing it for almost two years now. There is no coherent argument to be made that we are in a worse situation now than we were in at the end of January of 2021. We are in the midst of a massive awakening. And the people are beginning to take action in their own communities, in their cities, in their states, and in their country more broadly. And it's not just about voting in the elections, though that stuff is wonderful. Parents are getting involved with their school boards and in their communities in order to protect their children. People are running for office. People are figuring out new ways to create parallel industries and parallel economies. And people are waking others up. I'm always confused by the people who say that everyone has somehow been pacified. Everyone has been put to sleep because we don't have some armed revolution. We're not already involved in a civil war. The entire point is restoring justice without having a civil war. Because a civil war is one of the worst possible outcomes and should be avoided at all costs. It is better to take more time and do this without a civil war than it is to throw up our hands and give up and say justice is never coming. Civil war is the only way and take up arms. That's a terrible idea. And by the way, no one has had their arms taken away from them. So that option Hopefully, we never reach that point, but that option remains on the table. So the idea that we've missed our chance for that, what is the logic behind that? And of course, there is no logic behind that. The only people who bring that narrative forward consistently, and they still do it all the time, are bots, idiots, and feds, people who want to either black pill people or set them up to say things so that those people can then be accused of stoking political violence. And they go after the entire platform that way, whether it's uh, 8chan and 4chan and 8 coon from back in the day, or it's Truth Social, or Getter, or Telegram, or wherever else. I imagine they're going to begin going after Rumble soon. And just an interesting aside, Rumble's official Truth Social account today posted, update, thank you Starlink and Elon Musk for making free speech stronger. Rumble Cloud has officially begun peering with Starlink, meaning users of both Starlink and Rumble around the world will have less risk of censorship. And that's very interesting, because it seems like right there, Rumble is making it clear that Starlink can keep them online, even if other options for getting internet have been cut. I hope we don't see some sort of blackout period or a comms blackout or internet blackout period. I really hope we don't see that because the world will go haywire. But if we do, it's extremely reassuring to know that there are places where people can see real content from real people and not just get what the government is promising us as they intend to In the UK, we went through the article in the BBC the other day about how they have all these scripts planned to read out if there are comms blackouts or other blackouts in the UK. And it's extra interesting due to the fact that Truth Social is using the Rumble platform for all of the video content on there. Will Truth Social stay online with Starlink in the event of comms blackouts? Seems like maybe that's the direction we're headed. Obviously, that's speculation. I don't know. Can't say that for sure in any way, but it seems like that's where we're headed. But regardless, the blackpilling is absolutely pointless. If you think we have less hope of restoring justice in this society and our constitutional republic than we had a year and a half ago, you're absolutely nuts. Things are getting better, despite how frustrating this period is, and they will continue getting better even if the Democrats are able to pull off some amount of election fraud in the midterms. People are watching. None of this is going to just happen in secret. And it doesn't matter how the mainstream media responds. And it doesn't matter how whatever communists you still have in your life respond either. They are going to do that thing that they always do, where every time they think they've found a piece of news that proves everything you've been saying and thinking wrong, they're going to send it to you and they're going to mock you and they're going to tell you that you have to give it all up because you were wrong the whole time. They're going to try to demoralize you in every way imaginable. What you should think when they do that is not Oh man, I guess they're right. It's true. The news is really bad. Don't think that. Instead, maybe it's time to begin considering what your relationship with these people actually is. And I understand that some of them are quote unquote friends and family members. But if that's the case, what does their behavior say about how they think of you? You're not the weak one. You're not the dumb one. You're not the one who's clueless about what's going on in the country. They think they're right about everything and that you're wrong about everything. But they haven't even checked to find out whether or not that's true. They won't even leave the bubble of their censored platforms and the mainstream media. They get their information from Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and TikTok. They search for information on Google. They read the New York Times and the Washington Post and the L.A. Times and the Atlantic. They watch MSNBC and CNN and Fox News. Every source from which they learn about the world is a source designed specifically to mislead them. They have access to all the information in the world and they are still stuck in the past believing things that were not true at the time and are known to be untrue now. They've got nothing on you. So Steve Bannon has endured essentially a show trial and the trial was a sham. The decision was a sham. The sentencing is a sham. And this will all be sorted out in the appeals process. But all of this happened to push a narrative about the legitimacy of the January 6th committee and their ability to enforce subpoenas. They made a big, huge show last week of how they voted nine to nothing to subpoena testimony for Donald Trump. And now today they have released a letter demanding that testimony. They have officially sent their subpoena and the timing is no mistake. They do this to Donald Trump right after Steve Bannon is sentenced. So now it's really serious. Now they're able to send out this subpoena and have everyone cheer them on. And so here's the letter. This is a letter signed by Chairman Benny Thompson and Liz Cheney. Dear President Trump, United States House of Representatives Resolution 503 instructs the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol to investigate the facts, circumstances and causes of the January 6th attack and issues relating to the peaceful transfer of power. Pursuant to that directive, we have interviewed more than a 1,000 witnesses, reviewed over a million documents, conducted public hearings, and vindicated our rights in the court against those who have tried to keep relevant information from the select committee. As demonstrated in our hearings, we have assembled overwhelming evidence— including from dozens of your former appointees and staff that you personally orchestrated and oversaw a multi-part effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election and to obstruct the peaceful transition of power. This multi-part effort included, but was not limited to, purposely and maliciously disseminating false allegations of fraud related to the 2020 presidential election in order to aid your effort to overturn the election and for purposes of soliciting contributions. Attempting to corrupt the Department of Justice, including by soliciting and enlisting department officials to make false statements and aid your effort to overturn the presidential election. Without any evidentiary basis, Illegally pressuring state officials and legislators to change the results of the election in their states. Orchestrating and overseeing an effort to obtain and transmit false electoral certificates to Congress and the National Archives. Despite knowing specifically that it was illegal. Corruptly pressuring your own vice president to unilaterally refuse to count electoral votes during Congress's joint session on January 6th. Pressuring members of Congress to object to valid slates of electors from several states, filing false information under oath in federal court, summoning tens of thousands of supporters to Washington and knowing they were angry and some were armed, sending them to the Capitol, sending a social media message to the nation at 224 p.m. while knowing full well that the violent attack on the Capitol was occurring in which you incited further violence. By publicly condemning your vice president and refusing for hours to disband your rioting supporters by instructing them to leave the Capitol while you watch the attack unfold on television. Now. All of those claims are just patently false. There was overwhelming evidence of election fraud. It was widely available well before January 6th and it was being adjudicated. There were thousands of affidavits signed by American citizens who witnessed election fraud themselves. There was analysis being done on the machine results. There were multiple cases about The illegality of the election processes and the unconstitutional ways they were implemented. And much of that has been decided in Trump's favor in court, most specifically in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Members of Congress and the Senate are absolutely entitled to object to electors. Democrats have done it over and over and over again. Democrats have called the results of elections into question over and over again. Other slates, alternate slates of electors can be sent. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever, and presidents can weigh in on that. State legislatures can, in fact, send slates of electors that do not correspond with a fraudulent result as certified by George Soros's secretaries of state. That is okay to do. The vice president did have the power to. send the issue back to the states. There are constitutional recourses for each and every bit of this. It's not illegal for Trump to have done any of it. Donald Trump put 10,000 to 20,000 National Guard troops at the ready so they were available to protect the Capitol. Nancy Pelosi and D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser decided not to have those troops come in. So the idea that Donald Trump was planning an insurrection is absurd. They actually censored and took down his message asking his supporters to go home. So they clearly didn't care about whether or not the supporters would hear that message from Trump. They made sure Trump supporters couldn't hear that message, and they did it in coordination with the big tech companies. So they certainly weren't trying to protect the Capitol then either. You took all of these actions despite the rulings of more than 60 courts rejecting your election fraud claims and other challenges to the legality of the 2020 presidential election, despite having specific and detailed information from the Justice Department and your senior campaign staff informing you that your election claims were false, and despite your obligation as president to ensure that the laws of our nation are faithfully executed. Actually... That's what he was doing in disputing the fraudulent election. He was doing his duty to make sure that the laws of the nation were faithfully executed. They were not. That is what allowed the election fraud. The court cases, almost all of them, were thrown out for procedural reasons without examining the evidence of fraud. And again, it's worth noting that courts have thrown out mail-in balloting and drop boxes, as illegal and unconstitutional, Wisconsin, Delaware, Pennsylvania's Act 77 was deemed unconstitutional, and that is still in the appeals process. But right there, that's three states in 2020 that held illegal elections. The audit in Arizona showed hundreds of thousands of illegal ballots in the election, no chain of custody, illegal or non-existent voters all over the place, no signature matching. They had all sorts of issues that election should have never been certified. But none of this matters in the false reality. Not one bit. In short, you were at the center of the first and only effort by any U.S. president to overturn an election and obstruct the peaceful transition of power, ultimately culminating in a bloody attack on our own capital and on the Congress itself. The evidence demonstrates that you knew this activity was illegal and unconstitutional and also knew that your assertions of fraud were false. But to be clear, even if you now claim that you actually believed your own false election claims, that is not a defense. Your subjective belief could not render this conduct justified, excusable or legal. Because of your central role in each element of these actions, the Select Committee unanimously directed the issuance of a subpoena seeking your testimony and relevant documents in your possession on these and related topics. This subpoena calls for testimony regarding your dealings with multiple individuals who have now themselves invoked their Fifth Amendment privilege against self incrimination regarding their communications with you, including Roger Stone, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, U.S. Army, retired. John Eastman, Jeffrey Clark, and Kelly Ward. These Fifth Amendment assertions made by persons with whom you interacted related directly to you and your conduct. They provide specific examples where your truthful testimony under oath will be important. In addition, As is likely obvious from the topics identified in the bullets above, we are considering multiple legislative recommendations intended to provide further assurance that no future president could succeed at anything even remotely similar to the unlawful steps you took to overturn the election. Your testimony and documentary evidence would further inform the select committee's ongoing work. Well, how long is the select committee going to have ongoing work? And the answer is Probably not long at all, if at all, at all. Much of that select committee is not even going to be in office in two and a half months. And then Republicans will have control of that committee. And what's going to happen then? Again, all of this is a show. All of this is for narrative support and nothing else. They wanted to take Bannon off the board. They failed. They wanted to get Trump. They've failed. We recognize that a subpoena to a former president is a significant and historic action. We do not take this action lightly. But as you likely know, you would not be the first former president to testify before Congress or receive a congressional subpoena. Former presidents John Quincy Adams, John Tyler, Theodore Roosevelt, William Howard Taft, Herbert Hoover, Harry Truman and Gerald Ford each testified before Congress after they left office. President Roosevelt Explained during his congressional testimony, an ex-president is merely a citizen of the United States, like any other citizen, and it is his plain duty to try to help this committee or respond to its invitation. Even sitting presidents, including Abraham Lincoln and Gerald Ford, also testified before Congress. Further, both former and sitting presidents, including Presidents Nixon, Tyler and Quincy Adams, have provided evidence in response to congressional subpoenas. You got that? It's a perfect little history lesson trying to make it seem like what they're doing actually has legitimacy. This subpoena hereby orders the production of relevant documentary material as set forth on the attached schedule by November 4th, 2022. Oh, so if it's not right before the election, there's going to be a big story about how Trump is ignoring the very legitimate subpoena just four days before the election. What timing? Followed by your participation in one or more days of deposition testimony beginning on or about November 14th, 2022 and continuing on subsequent days as necessary. The deposition will be under oath and will be led by the professional staff of the select committee, including multiple former federal prosecutors as well as members. As with all witnesses who are required to appear before the select committee, you may raise any relevant privilege objections to specific questions asked during your deposition. If, like other witnesses identified above, you intend to invoke your Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination for your testimony, please so inform the select committee promptly. Likewise, for any document described in the schedule, you may make relevant objections in a privilege log, which shall be produced to the select committee by the subpoena return date. Any privilege assertions should be made with accompanying information sufficient to allow an informed assessment of the validity of the asserted privilege. And the letter goes on. They attach the schedule of what they would like to receive from Trump. And it's basically all communications he has had with basically anybody in that entire period, and some information that probably doesn't exist, like Donald Trump having interactions with the Proud Boys. So what is this letter? Well, it is accompanying a subpoena, so there is a practical need for the letter. But why is the letter this way? Well, the subpoena is illegitimate, and there's a very low likelihood that Donald Trump will ever testify before this committee. He said he might do it if they put it live on television, and that would be great television. Let's see if they'll call his bluff. Of course, they won't call his bluff because there is an absolutely minute portion of the population at this point who would side with the January 6th committee. There's almost no one even watching these hearings. Now, tons of people would watch if Donald Trump testified. And I'm more than happy to watch that myself because I'm not scared of a bunch of stupid and evil people trying to make Trump look stupid when they're the stupid ones. The letter exists at this length because they are attempting to drive the narrative. They are trying to say that Donald Trump did all these very bad things and now they want and they deserve all of that evidence so that they can prosecute him for all of these very bad things that he hasn't actually done. They want this reported continuously throughout these last couple weeks leading up to the midterms. They need to drive this narrative home. They think it's not going to work, but they have very few options remaining. So this seems like one of the best ones. There's nothing legitimate about it, but the media will give it the air of legitimacy. They will tell people that all of this stuff is real and this is what's going to happen. And this is finally going to be the silver bullet that brings down the bad orange man. The walls are closing in again. And they'll tell all of the child brains that everyone in MAGA is very, very scared. Look what's going to happen to Donald Trump if he doesn't comply with this Subpoena, the same thing that happened to Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon was tried and he was convicted and now he's going to go to prison just like Donald Trump is going to do. There's actually this whole genre of communist Twitter where they're talking about Steve Bannon being killed in prison, that he's going to be Epsteined by Trump's people. They think that Donald Trump's people are going to kill Steve Bannon in prison so that Steve Bannon can't say all of the things that are going to bring down Donald Trump and real people who have lived to the age of adulthood actually believe this. Now, their brains haven't developed to an adult state. They're trapped in the false reality. They live with a child's understanding of the world and of themselves. But there are people who have lived to an age of adulthood who still really believe that Steve Bannon is going to communicate information that will finally bring down Donald Trump because the whole thing was illegal and Steve Bannon just needs to save himself. He's going to turn over all the goods on Donald Trump. It is amazing that these people can get through their day. And of course, they can't really. They work from home. Many of them have barely left the house for two and a half years Because they were scared of COVID, and now they're scared of extreme MAGA Republicans. Their whole life is built on making up new ways to express their hatred for Donald Trump and all of his supporters. But don't worry, they're the good people. Now, I was just talking about how much most of the country has completely tuned these people out. Rasmussen reported on some recent polling of theirs today. They asked a 1,000 likely voters, how likely is it that Republicans will win control of the U.S. House of Representatives in the upcoming elections? 57% of the country said very or somewhat likely, with another 5% not sure. So that's only 28% of voters overall who think it's unlikely the Republicans will take control of the House. Republicans, as you might expect, 86% of them think Republicans will win. Independents, 59% think Republicans will win. For Democrats, 58% think that Republicans will win. But nonetheless, the mainstream media and the lunatics on Twitter are still telling people all the glorious things Democrats will do if they keep control of the house, they're going to codify Roe versus Wade. Well, no, they're not. And by the way, even if somehow they won control of the house again through fraudulent elections, obviously, even if somehow they were able to do that and just keep on going with some version of this as the status quo, they still wouldn't get it done. They've been saying they're going to do that for 50 years and it's never worked. And now they don't have Roe versus Wade and the country isn't asking for it back. That whole issue is made up. It's a lie. There is not this groundswell of support to legalize abortion, particularly not the way Democrats want it legalized all the way up till the moment of birth and in some places even after. And all the polls are going this direction. The results from the most recent Harvard Harris poll that asked whether Joe Biden was mentally fit for office. And they asked two questions Is Joe Biden mentally fit to serve as President of the United States, or do you have doubts about his fitness for office? 45% said he is mentally fit, 55% said he's not. 22% of Democrats say Joe Biden is unfit for office mentally. They also asked, do you think Joe Biden is showing he is too old to be president? Or do you think he is showing he is fit to be president? Only 32% said they believed he was fit for office. 68% said he's too old, including 35% of Democrats. So, Think about this when they try to tell you that Joe Biden's polling has recovered and 48% of the country approves of the job he's doing. I just saw that like two days ago. 48%. That is what they are trying to tell the American public. So apparently, they believe that there is this group of Americans who think Joe Biden is unfit for office physically and mentally, but still really approve of the job he's doing. Well, Here's some news. Those people don't exist. The Democrats don't even really have a base of support anymore, which is why they're going to lose all across the country. In New York, the governor who has never elected Kathy Hochul is down in the polls to Lee Zeldin and New York is a massive election fraud state. And we are told a very consistently blue state. They might lose the governorship in Oregon. They're probably going to lose Senate seats in Vermont and New Hampshire. They are in trouble absolutely everywhere. That is how bad a job they are doing. And of course, they're not just going to let that go. They're going to create narratives that will explain a massive bump in turnout because that's the only way for them to win. They will be facing another massive red wave, and this time it is probably too big For them to simply steal all the races they actually need to steal. They're trying to tell people that young voters are going to determine the outcome of the election as if there's a groundswell of support from young voters. There isn't. They're going to tell people that young voters are voting on abortion issues. That's not true. Polls show this, but more importantly, reality shows it as well. Likewise, the bribe of telling people that they're going to pay off their college loans isn't working. And people are realizing that no one's going to get their college loans paid off either. And so they shift to early voting and they're saying, oh, early voting numbers are up huge in Georgia. They're up huge here and here and here. And that is, again, supposed to indicate some sort of groundswell of real support from Democrats. Of course, no one believes any of it. So how do you drive a turnout narrative if no one seems like they're going to turn out? Well, then you need a game changing event. And we've discussed that before. I think maybe they're running out of time and opportunities for that game changing event. Are they going to indict Donald Trump? Maybe. Doesn't seem like it. They're welcome to go ahead and try it and deal with the blowback of that. That's not going to be some story that convinces people to go out to the polls. And it's not the sort of story that would make everyone else believe that everyone came out to the polls for that and chose to support Democrats because they just refuse to empower more MAGA Republican extremism. And so when they produce fraudulent results to the extent that they do and no one believes it, well, we can deal with that. Because the primary focus is and has always been the awakening at large. The stuff that needs to happen will happen once the people are aware and motivated to create that change. And of course, the mainstream media is still pretending that the 2020 election was not stolen. Anyone who says it was stolen is telling the big lie. They're election deniers. The state's office believes someone is already trying to discredit this election. In what way? Yeah, it's breaking down here and it's happening in Spaulding County, Anderson. Yesterday they found a fake ballot somehow slipped in among the 1520 actual cast ballots at the county's only early voting site. Sources tell me it was such a fake that it seems uh, to investigators the intent was for this fake ballot to be found and somehow used to discredit the electoral process. It's launched yet another investigation in this same county whose elections are led by an election denier who denies he has anything to do with this and on Twitter stated, every vote should count. Anderson?
2: Drew Griffin, thanks so much.
0: Listen to these conspiracy theorists trying to make everyone think the elections are all safe and secure by communicating that the elections are so safe and secure that they are able to find Single fake ballots as they come in. And because that single, very obviously fake ballot that was found among 1,500 very real ballots actually proves how safe and secure the elections are, it must have been that election denier running the election in Spaulding County who put that ballot in there himself. In order to discredit the entire enterprise. Now, in another world, you might say that they just made a series of baseless claims. There's no evidence whatsoever that that county election official inserted a very obviously fake ballot into the election in order to discredit the elections entirely. But that makes sense in the false reality in the observable empirical reality. We don't need to insert fake ballots that someone's going to find. Ooh, they found the very fake ballot. We can just simply audit all the elections and look at all the ballots and make sure that each one of those ballots is submitted and counted according to the law, that the signatures match, that there is a voter ID attached to it, a real American voter casting that vote. We can do that everywhere and then we won't have this problem at all. But they don't want to do that. They don't want to even suggest that they are actually trying to argue that the exception proves the rule. The fact that they found a fake ballot means that the elections are safe and secure. And because the elections are safe and secure, nobody needs to check. And because nobody needs to check, no one should be allowed to check. Jovan Pulitzer posted this today on his sub stack. Is Arizona in the box again for Democrats? Katie Hobbs trying to sue those who want real count. Why would a secretary of state issue a threat to sue if county election supervisors decide to hand count ballots in the midterms to confirm the numbers are correct? Hobbs states doing so would be unlawful. So here's a letter from a woman named Corey Lorick who is the state elections director in the office of Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs. Katie Hobbs did not write this letter herself. Katie Hobbs has actually barely been at work in the last year while she's been running for governor against Carrie Lake in one of the most ridiculously lopsided election contests that anyone has ever witnessed. Dear Cochise County Board of Supervisors, we understand that the Cochise County Board of Supervisors will vote next week on whether to conduct a hand count of all votes cast, despite both the Cochise County Attorney's and Legislative Council's determination that doing so would be unlawful. The Secretary of State agrees with the County Attorney and Legislative Council and urges the board to abandon this misguided effort. Oh, that's interesting. So the county attorney and the legislative council are both putting their names behind the refusal to allow ballots to be counted by hand. As you know, Arizona has rigorous standards in place to ensure that electronic voting systems used in our elections are secure and accurate, including federal and state certification requirements, pre and post election logic and accuracy testings and post election limited hand count audits. The use of electronic tabulation combined with these and other security measures allows counties to fulfill their statutory duties in a timely manner while ensuring the accuracy and integrity of our elections. Indeed, as recently explained by the general counsel of the Arizona Legislative Council, Arizona law only contemplates manual counting of ballots where, quote, it becomes impracticable to count ballots with tabulating equipment, end quote. And of course, that standard has been met. Because as we know, and as we have found out over time, the machines aren't actually properly certified according to law and the logic and accuracy tests don't do anything. And the limited hand counts are performed on small batches of votes that do not actually represent the entire election security in any way. And this is for good reason. A full hand count raises numerous concerns, notably Hands counting is necessarily time intensive and prone to human error, not like when people make human errors in their handling of the machines and their little USB sticks or any of the other ways that machines are exploited by county election workers. Any election director in Arizona the official responsible for overseeing tabulation of ballots can attest that it's impossible to complete an accurate hand count of an election with dozens of races on the ballot in time to comply with applicable statutory deadlines, including the county canvas deadline. Well, that's interesting because we used to get results by hand on election night. And in Arizona, we got a preliminary call on election night made by Fox News, but then Arizona didn't announce its results. For four more days. And it's worth noting that hand counting has only been made difficult by the fact that they decided to have massive election centers instead of tiny local precincts, where hand counting was quite easy in the past. Additionally, Transitioning to a full hand count this close to the election raises operational and security concerns. Election procedures are generally developed through careful consideration and with sufficient time to prepare for an upcoming election. In fact, Cochise County has already filed its elections program and emergency contingency plan for the general election with the Secretary of State, confirming its usage of electronic equipment for this election. Early voting for the 2022 general election began over a week ago, and counties are already permitted by law to begin processing and tabulating ballots, drastically changing procedures now mere weeks before election day creates significant risk of administrative error and has the potential to cause voter confusion and mistrust in our elections. As if anyone trusts Arizona's elections at this point, except for maybe Those Democrats who still think Joe Biden is physically and mentally fit for office. Those people don't know anything. Even if, as indicated at the board's October 11th, 2022 work session, the board intends to tabulate votes electronically and conduct a full hand count only to audit those machine tabulated results, the board has no authority to do so. County boards of supervisors have only those powers expressly conferred by statute, and the board, quote, may exercise no powers except those specifically granted by statute and in a manner fixed by statute. And they go on with some claims about the code. They wrap up this way. If the board votes to proceed with a full hand count, putting at risk the accuracy and integrity of our elections, the secretary will take all available legal action to ensure that Cochise County conducts the 2022 general election in compliance with Arizona law. If that occurs, we note that Arizona law provides for mandatory fee shifting under these circumstances. We are all stewards of taxpayer dollars and taxpayers should not bear the burden of the board's contemplated unlawful action. We sincerely hope such action is unnecessary and that the board will follow the advice of its own attorney, protect the integrity of our elections and ensure continued compliance with Arizona law. And so they're basically threatening to sue if Cochise County goes forward with a hand count. Now, why would they be so scared of this hand count Would the hand count show different results than the machine count? Well, yes, seems like that's exactly what they're scared of. And they have good reason to be scared of that, because any place that has legitimate elections anywhere in the country calls into doubt the legitimacy of the elections in surrounding and similar areas of that state. If, for instance, Democrats are not allowed to use and count mail in ballots in Delaware, where they have been deemed unconstitutional, then their fraud plan will fail which is why Delaware elections officials are trying to go forward with the mail-in balloting anyway, even after the courts have ruled it unconstitutional. And if somehow election fraud does not work in Delaware and Republicans end up dominating in Delaware, a deep blue state that just happens to be the home state of the fake president. Well, then, What will that say when places like California have huge blue waves? I think we can reliably predict that we are going to hear stories in the aftermath of this election about the popular vote as if the popular vote matters at all for congressional elections or Senate elections. But they are still going to aim for a national popular vote win. That's not even really a thing at all, but they'll say, oh no, Democrats still have the majority in this country. And Joe Biden still has a mandate to govern. And they'll probably claim that the reason they lost was because of voter suppression. And I really, really, really hope that they say they've lost because of election fraud, because that'll be hilarious. We'll just be like, yeah, okay, audit the election, audit the election fully with our people in the room while you do it. Let's make sure that every vote you're saying was cast for a Democrat was from a real legal American voter. We're more than happy to do that. Absolutely everywhere. Let's broadcast it live on the Internet from every single location and let the chips fall where they may. These people are desperate and they are panicking because they know what's coming. This is Newsweek Today. Election deniers are predicted to win 189 midterm races. Republican candidates who have either questioned or denied the 2020 presidential election result are favored to win 189 midterm elections, according to fresh analysis by Newsweek. Voters go to the polls on November 8th in a high stakes contest with one campaign group saying that the idea of free and fair elections is effectively on the ballot paper. Oh, do ballots everywhere have paper? Oh, no, they don't. A previous investigation by The Washington Post found there are 291 Republican election deniers who have, quote, denied or questioned the outcome of the last presidential election standing across the United States. This constitutes more than half the total number of GOP candidates who are running for office. Out of the 291 election deniers, counting both congressional and state races, it concluded that 171 are favored to win, with another 48 running in close races. Further analysis by Newsweek found that of the 48 in tight contests, 18 are more likely than not to win. And it's going to be hilarious when all of these numbers prove to be really low and election denying Republicans do much, much better than that. The analysis covers elections to the Senate and the House of Representatives, along with votes for the governor, attorney general, lieutenant governor and secretary of state positions at state level. Some of these offices will play a key role in certifying the 2024 presidential election. Oh, you see, it's all about Trump again. You can't have those no-no people in office or then Trump might win. Democrats, people who say that the 2020 election was the safest and most secure election of all time, they need to be in office for anyone to trust the elections. Nothing could change that, by the way. There's no sort of information that might come out that's going to let the country know broadly that the 2020 election was stolen. That's impossible. According to the election site 538, founded by polling guru Nate Silver, out of the 48 close races involving election deniers, the Republicans are favored to win 16 contests for Congress and state governorships. So you get that? That's two fewer than Newsweek found. Who do we go with? Newsweek's fresh analysis or polling guru Nate Silver? And the article goes on and on repeating the slogans. These people have absolutely nothing. There is no legitimate argument that they are making for anyone around the country to vote for them. If you're an abortion voter, they're telling you they're going to codify Roe versus Wade. That's not possible. They're not going to do that. It is never going to happen. It is especially not going to happen at the national level. There will be no constitutional amendment guaranteeing the right to abortion. They will not pass a law with a Republican Congress and a Republican Senate. Joe Biden will not sign a law that has never been passed. There will be no codification of Roe versus Wade. If you are an insurrection voter, very afraid of extreme MAGA Republicans, well, that's not going to work either. The country doesn't believe the insurrection narrative. The January 6th committee has been a complete and total failure. If you imagine that you are the sort of communist who is going to guarantee trust and faith in our elections and you're going to make sure that the election deniers don't get into office, well, there's not a voting base there either. And if there was, it would be the same dumbasses thinking that Roe versus Wade is going to be codified and that Donald Trump is going to be imprisoned for his role in the insurrection. There's not a wave of Democrats and centrist Republican communists who are going to vote for Democrats based on immigration or inflation or the economy. There's not some wave that's going to come save them from the war in Ukraine. These people have absolutely nothing. They are going to be wiped out. If the results after election day don't indicate that, Everyone is going to see the fraud with their own eyes. And I know it would be frustrating to have to deal with that, but we might have to deal with it and it's going to be okay. The people are retaking the power and the people will not stand for this any longer. So go out there and have a good weekend and don't blackpill. Things are going fine. Talk to people about the actual state of the country. Tell them true things that they have not heard and make a plan to go vote. Yes, the system is flawed. Yes, it produces fraudulent results and manipulated results. I understand this. I do not deny it. And by the way, if your morality dictates that you do not participate in that sort of system, I understand. I'm not going to hate you for that. I've just made a different choice And I think that you should consider that choice as well. The point is that we leave ourselves the most possible options on how to fix this stuff. And it seems like the best strategy for that is to go out and vote. Let's put as many friendly people as we can in office through this election system, no matter how flawed, and we will just continue fighting one way or another. The fight does not end on November 9th. So buck up, stand up, and be hopeful because we are winning by a lot. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me, and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range.